0: Good morning. I I can't hear. All right, we're good. (laughs) Maybe it's because you weren't saying it loud enough. Hey, if you're a guest with us, I'm glad that you're here this morning. I'm really excited about this morning because I think what we're going to study is going to help every single one of us when we leave this place today. It's been really uh, sitting heavy on my heart this week. It's ministered to my heart. Uh, I'm excited for you to hear about it. But before we get into that, if you're a guest or you call this place home, it really is important to us that you fill out that connect card in the seat back in front of you. Uh, One, it allows us to know that you were here. Uh, We don't like going through the motions, and we don't want to hide from this. And and if you don't have a church background, I know it can feel a little bit weird and awkward when people ask to know that you were uh, present. Uh, But as a church, we care for one another, and we believe in taking care of one another's needs, uh, praying for one another. And when you fill that card out, you let us know that you were here. That means a lot to us. So Thanks for taking a moment, letting us know what you're interested in learning more about, putting your prayer request on that card. Uh, Once again, it helps keep us connected uh, when it would be very easy to sit in a seat and disappear. Um, And so thank you for taking a moment to do that this morning. Um, A couple other things, I'd encourage you to grab that bulletin and that prayer insert. Uh, There are some really important prayer needs in the church. We pray for a minister in another part of the country every Sunday. We pray for a missionary every week. And so Take a moment, uh, read through the prayers when you have a chance uh, throughout the week. You can take notes on that bulletin card. On the back of it, it'll tell you about some upcoming events, things that you can get plugged in um, into the life of this church and things that are going on around here. So uh, take a moment, read through that stuff. You can read through it if I start boring you in the sermon too. That's just part of it. So, uh, or you can make me think you're taking notes and you're really learning more about what's going on at the church. Uh, before we jump in though, let's pray. Ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Father, thank you. For this moment that we have every week where we pause, um, schedules can be pulling us, distractions, different things coming up, deadlines. Uh, there could be some frustration from the previous week carrying over into this new week. And yet here we are, and we pause to open your word. And God, when we gather, we believe that we're opening a book that is infallible. That it is your inspired, spoken word. We believe that this book when we open it up, has the ability to both read our hearts and our minds to transform and change us. We believe that, God. And this moment is no different than previous moments where we come with expectation and gratitude for you to change and shape our minds and our hearts this morning. God, as we begin to study the Holy Spirit this morning, my prayer is that we would have the understanding that you would want us to have about his role in our lives. Father, that you would uh, encourage us with the words of the scriptures this morning. And that genuinely, when we leave here today, there'd be something in us that has changed because of you and for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing a series this morning called What We Believe. And we're walking through a lot of the core doctrines or beliefs of the church. It's a really good series to be a part of. I would encourage you to get on and catch up. We started with what we believe about God, the Father, and then um, last week David brilliantly walked us through what we believe about Jesus. If you did not get a chance to hear last week's sermon, go online. A really good sermon. And then today we're going to finish up this little section in the bigger series um, on what we believe about the Holy Spirit. So it kind of brings us to this concept uh, for a word that's not used in the Bible, but the concepts in the Bible, and it's a word we, we call Trinity. What we believe about God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But what comes to my mind when I hear the word Trinity is this idea of trio. And so I want you to take a moment with the people seated around you. And when I say these words, I want you to tell the person seated next to you what comes to your mind. Famous trios. Famous groups of three. What comes to your mind? Take a second. Famous trios. All right, let me see see if we're thinking the same direction. I had a few come to my mind. Did anybody think of this famous trio? (laughs) The Three Stooges, all right. Okay, good, good. What about the Three Musketeers? Do we have anybody? All right, the Three Musketeers. Here's my personal favorite. Brought us a few championships to my hometown. Okay, everybody's like, are you mad that LeBron left? I'm like, why would I be mad he brought us two championships? I'm not mad about that, and so... Anybody think of this one? Young people. Uh, yeah. Ah, young. Okay. And then there's this last one that I wanted to encourage you guys with because it's the last time the team was good. Uh. <laughs> Too soon? I'm sorry. They were great together. Edron James, Marvin Harrison, Peyton Manning, those were the good days, weren't they? So when it comes to the most famous trio, what comes to my mind, though, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's a difficult concept for us to uh, understand. So as we approach it, we can't really do an exhaustive study in one sermon on the role of the Holy Spirit. Um, And there's a lot of differences in feelings and thoughts when you start talking about the Holy Spirit, depending on your church background. But When I was in college, there was this house uh, that was on this dirt road there in Florida, and it was boarded up. And it was uh, really, everybody, it was like this condemned home, and everybody kind of viewed it as like this haunted house. And no one ever really wanted to go around there, especially not at night. And so you'd have groups of students from the college that would venture out there late at night, and they would want to get into this house and walk around it. You know, you just picture being scared of it. And there were some kids that were just completely obsessed about it. And then there was another group of students that if you even mentioned this house, they wanted nothing to do with it. They would not want to talk about it. They were just kind of terrified of it. When I think about talking about the Holy Spirit, I think about that house. I mean, you really have two groups of people. You got some, some people that are obsessed with talking about the Holy Spirit. They always want to talk about him and give him even more credit than I think the Bible would say he even wants. Uh, they, they, give, they just man, It's all about the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and they really want to talk. Then you have another group. They don't want to talk about him at all. As though the Bible doesn't address him at all, as though he's not significant. And so today, in an effort to strike some balance, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in really two realms, uh, two different questions that I want to answer this morning. One is who He is, and we're going to get a basic understanding who is the Holy Spirit from what the Bible teaches us. And the second thing is, what does He do? What does He do? And so we're going to be in John chapter 14 as we kind of uh, bring this portion um, of this series, and we're going to continue the series, but we finish our discussion on the Trinity we're going to be in John chapter 14. Let me give you a little bit of background while you're turning there. John 14 is found in one of my favorite books of the whole Bible, the Gospel of John. And When John wrote this Bible, it covered a three-year span in the life of Jesus when he wrote this gospel, and it covers three years, but he really only mentions content from 21 to 22 days in the life of Jesus. So I want you to think about this. He covers a three-year time span, but selectively only discusses content from 21 to 22 days in the life of Jesus, which means John was very selective, very selective in what he included in his gospel, which meant what he wanted you to read was important. All right, and so he narrows it down. As a matter of fact, John chapters 13 to 17 really only discuss one night in the life of Jesus. And now think about this. On the last night of his life, we've talked about this before. If you knew this was the last night of your life, you would not waste time or words. You would gather around the people closest to you and you would very selectively choose what you were saying to them. You would be very intentional with the words that you communicated to them. And Jesus was no different. And so here, in this last discourse that Jesus has uh, prior to his betrayal and his death, uh, he's very selective in what he talks about. And so we get to John chapter 14 and Jesus introduces us to kind of what he wants to say. Now, what I also want you to know about John is that as you read through this, I want you to think about this. It's easy for us to get caught up in the content, but for John, there was something about being around Jesus, and it was not about the more I'm around him, the wiser I get. It wasn't about the more I'm around him, the deeper the power, the higher power level I get, and I can perform some of these miracles, and my notoriety, everybody's going to know me because I was around Jesus. You see, for John, when you read his gospel, one of the top things you pick up on is that John was very relational. Meaning this, it wasn't about what he gained, what he received, or what he did when it was around Jesus. Being around Jesus for him was simply being around Jesus. The more, and the closer I got to him, the more I got to be around him. You see, for John, the purpose of following Jesus was Jesus. was, man, I get to be with Jesus, I get to be around Jesus. And anything that came from that was a byproduct of the relationship that he had with Jesus. Keep that in mind. That's really important as we continue this morning. John chapter 14 we're going to pick up in verse 15. Jesus says these words, If you love me, obey my commandments. We could do a whole sermon on that one, that one phrase, that one verse. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I, will, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. You see, the world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him, and it doesn't recognize him, but you know him. Because he lives with you now and later will be in you, not just with you. Now, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. When I am raised to life, you will know that I am in my Father and that you are in me and I am in you. Now jump down to verse 25. I'm telling you these things now while I am with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I've told you. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. I don't know if there's even more encouraging verse in all the Bible there than verse 27. I'm leaving you with a gift, the peace of mind and peace of heart. And the peace I give this world could never give. So don't be scared as you enter and live in this world. You see, what we learn here and what we learn throughout the scriptures is a few different things about the Holy Spirit. The first thing we learn about the Holy Spirit is that he is God. We learn in the book of Genesis, God says, let us make man in what? Our image. And so it was this idea of Trinity, this triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now this is a really difficult thing to talk about from the stage. I want you to think about it. If you had to get up this morning and teach a church a giant group of people, uh, the concept of the Trinity, the fact that God is three in one. He is three distinct and yet one God. How would you feel? <laughs> That's how I feel right now, okay? <laughs> now listen, I struggled with it all week. I'm thinking about how do you teach the Trinity to the whole church? How do you get, help them understand it all week? And then finally, Thursday night, I had a dream. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I had it. I knew everything I needed to know to explain to you, and it was perfect, it was completely clear. I knew exactly how I was going to explain the Trinity to you. Trinity to you, and you would walk out of here. And I get it. I understand the Trinity, but unfortunately, I forgot to write it down, and I fell back <laughs> asleep. So now it's all muddy and messed up again, so sorry. Look, I've never felt like I completely grab this and can com- communicate the idea of the Trinity with all clarity, but let's give it a try to understand it a little bit better. Look, this is the essential. Uh, what you need to know essentially about the, the Trinity. There's one God who existed eternally in three persons. This is not three distinct gods like a little God family, right? That's, that's not what it's saying. That would be polytheism. That would be your believing in multiple gods. It's not three separate gods, okay? It's not one God in three modes who keeps changing his costumes, Right? No, the Bible says that he is eternally God, he was always there, he's omnipresent, and in all three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he can be all distinct at all the time in all places. It's also not just some sort of a God force. Star, Star Wars fans love to think of the Holy Spirit maybe as just this force that you tap into and I have the force. And it's not that either. It is fully God. It is one God existing eternally as three persons. And according to what Jesus says, the role of the Holy Spirit, according to our passage this morning, in the Trinity, operating within the Trinity, you have God the Father, then you have the Son, you have the Holy Spirit. The the role of the Holy Spirit is to be our advocate. Now, I love that word. As a matter of fact, your translation might say something different, but what we read this morning, it said another advocate. He's another advocate. This is a fascinating word, and it can come different. Yours might say helper or counselor. Yours might say um, comforter in your translation, which is fascinating. Here's a rule of thumb. Whenever you come across a word in your Bible that in multiple translations seems to change, it could be comforter, it could be uh, counselor, it could be advocate, it's usually because the English language doesn't have the ability to communicate the richness of what's trying to be communicated in the Greek language. Right? We're not, we don't always have the depth of content in our language, and so uh, they use different things. And you might think of a comforter, somebody who just kind of comes alongside you, and that's good, and they just, they're there for you, they're present. You might think of a counselor, someone who listens well, right? I like the NIV and the New Living Translation's use of the word advocate because it's a legal term. And when you think about this, when it, multiple ways that this word has come to under, be understood it communicates the concept of not someone who's leading you out in front saying, hey, come this way, you need to come this way. And, and the word doesn't mean it's somebody who's coming up behind you and they're pushing you saying, no, go that way, go that way. So the Holy Spirit's role is not to push you and say, go that way. The word communicates this idea of someone coming up right alongside you, almost putting their arm around you and saying, hey, let's go this way. That They're with you, they're beside you, they're pleading your case, Right? An advocate in, in the court of law somebody who would come and communicate on behalf of you, right? And so Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to be another advocate. But the question naturally is, if he has to say another advocate, who's the first advocate? Take a guess. Good answer. Say <laughs> you, you, Be confident. Jesus. So Jesus is our first advocate. Well, what does that mean? What it means is this. We all stand equally accused... Of sin by God, and many of you, if you're not a Christian, you might be saying, "That's where we disagree." I, I don't know that I'm guilty before God. Let me ask you a couple questions. Uh, the first one being this: You ever notice the immediacy that comes from the feeling of guilt? Has anybody ever noticed that? I mean, you could be walking down the road, and something can trigger a memory. This just happens to me all the time—a memory from something in the past where I'd made a poor decision or I'd done something to hurt somebody, and I see something that triggers that thought, and immediately the feeling of guilt hits me. Anybody ever felt that? You can be with somebody, and you can be reminded of something. You can see a picture or an image or something, and guilt just has this immediacy, which means we've all felt it. Like, we've all felt guilt. We all know we're guilty. We all know that we've done wrong. We feel it. We know it. How about this? How many of you would say that you're a perfectionist? How many of you would say that your spouse is a perfectionist? I'm just kidding. Don't. don't. (laughs) But but this this look you felt the pressure to be perfect at some point in your life, and then you felt the disappointment of knowing you can't do it. Right? And so we've all felt the immediacy of guilt. We've all felt the pressure to be perfect. And then the disappointment of not being able to be perfect. Something goes wrong. We don't do it exactly the way we wanted it to. It's not quite to the results of the standard that we had hoped for. And we've all felt disappointed with the pressure of perfection. We all feel a desperate need for something better. Either our guilt or our perfectionism. Which means we all stand equally having felt this, I'm not perfect. I'm not good enough. We have guilt. We all feel it. We've all experienced this idea of guilt. When I've sat in the room with people who are near near the end of their life, one of the conversations we typically have is some of the regrets that they've had. It's as if it comes clear to your mind. We've felt it. And the text, the Bible tells us that Jesus, when you're in Christ, when you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, He's your advocate, while God's wrath is pointed directly at you. Because if God's going to be a just and kind God, he has to punish evil. And if we're all guilty of evil, his wrath is coming at us. And the Bible says, Jesus, when you're a Christian, he steps in the way and absorbs it. And then he advocates for you to the Father. And when the wrath is pointed at you, he says, no, that's one of mine, God. That's one of mine. He's your advocate. John, the same writer of the gospel, would say it this way in one of his letters, 1 John chapter 2. He says, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. However, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Same word. We have this advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. So he pleads to the Father on our behalf. He's our advocate. But now Jesus says on the last night of his life, he says, hey, I'm going to leave and I'm going to send you another advocate where you think I'm leaving you. I'm not leaving you. I'm sending you another advocate. This advocate is not just going to come and live beside you like I have. He's going to come and live inside of you and he's going to be your advocate now and he's going to be the Holy Spirit. So now the Holy Spirit comes and he's our advocate. So that's what I want to focus on this morning. We can go a lot of directions. I want to focus on who he is. He's your advocate. Why that's important? It's because of what he does as your advocate. And so we're going to look at a few things. If you're a follower of Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit living in your life, here's what the advocate does in and through you. The first thing he does is he encourages. Many of us don't like talking about a word like that. We think it's just too feeling oriented. But if you're human and you have a heartbeat right now, you have had a season of your life where you need to be encouraged. Verse 26 tells us that the Holy Spirit reminds us of the words of God, of Jesus. He will bring to mind. He will remind you of my words. He will bring my words back to the forefront of your mind. And so here's what I want to do. When it comes to encouragement, I want you to picture this. Maybe you've had a rough day. You're in a rough season right now. I want to just remind you of three things that Jesus said that he tells us in verse 26 the Holy Spirit will bring to our mind when we need it. Just three things. The first thing is this, And before we even put it up there. Imagine what it would look like if every follower of Jesus believed these three things because they allowed the Holy Spirit to remind them and encourage them of these three truths that Jesus said about you. Imagine the world if all Christians lived with this confidence. Imagine what the church would look like if all of us confidently allowed the Holy Spirit to remind us of these three things. The first thing is this, that you are loved. You're loved. You see, I don't know about you, but there are days where I don't feel loved. I'm a wreck, I'm a mess, I've made all kinds of mistakes, I've hurt people, I've said things, I feel down, I'm down and out. And it's in those moments, the Bible says the Holy Spirit reminds me of the words of Jesus. Like, Rob, hey, on your worst day, he stepped in front of the wrath of God for you because he loves you. When you don't feel loved, you need the Holy Spirit to remind you that you're loved. What about this? You have a purpose. Right, Jesus said right before He ascended to heaven that when the Holy Spirit would come upon you, uh, you will receive power, and that power had a purpose. He said, the, "The power I'm giving you through the work of the Holy Spirit is that you would have a life that matters, that's significant." Not only are you loved, but you're not to sit still. God wants to use you. The Apostle Paul would say he wants you to be his ambassador, and he's given you this advocate inside of you on your days where you don't feel useful. You don't feel like you have a purpose. You just feel like you're going to this dead-end job. You're doing the rat race. You don't know what, where the end of the picture is. All you can do is, like, I'm working hard to get to retirement. I'm working. I'm buying things with money I don't have to impress people I don't even like. And what, what am I doing with my life? And he whispers into your ear, your life has so much more significance than that. Every single day you wake up, you have a purpose. And the Spirit reminds you. He reminds you. He's your advocate. He's advocating to you about you because of Jesus. Hey, you have a purpose. And what about this one? You're never alone. Jesus' words, hey, when I send you out with this purpose because I love you, you need to be reminded you're never by yourself. In your loneliest moments where you feel like you're not making progress sharing faith with family members, when you feel like the mission of God is just exhausting you, I've been there. I've been there recently. I mean, recently just felt like, am I, what am I doing? Are we making progress here? Am I, what am, am I making progress reaching the people that I feel like God's called me to reach? Am I making a dent? I, and I need to be reminded, Rob, it's not all you. I need to be reminded I'm loved and I have a purpose. And that when I live out this purpose, I'm never alone. Like on your loneliest day, Jesus is with you because he has sent you an advocate. Here's the problem, though. Most Christians allow the Holy Spirit to sit dormant inside of them. They don't tap into the power that's available to them. It's a power that Jesus literally used the word power. You're going to have power. This power is to be reminded of what he has said to be true and to live that out. Do you realize that the power that is promised to you from the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to follow Jesus? See, Jesus started out by saying, if you love me, obey my commandments. I don't know about you, but there are days where I'd feel like, hey, the natural conclusion to that statement is I must not love Jesus because I don't always obey his commandments. And then he finishes up and says, hey, by the way, it's not in your strength. I'm going to send an advocate. I'm going to send a helper. He's going to live inside of you. He's going to give you the ability to follow me and obey me and and live my commandments. It's going to give you the ability to put sin to death inside of you. You realize you can't in yourself overcome the power of sin and the temptation to sin in your life, but with the advocate, with the helper, the the spirit of God living inside of you, that power that you have the ability to tap into gives you the ability to put sin to death and to serve people and to serve the church and to see the way God wants you to see. It's the power of the spirit that lives inside of you, not your own willpower and ability. But for many Christians, we don't tap into that power that is so readily available to us. The second thing the Spirit does is He doesn't just encourage, but He prays for you. Do you, do you realize that? That when you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you're, and you come to those days, if you've had these days, when you just feel like, man, I don't even know what to pray anymore. I, I don't. Like, I'm just, I'm exhausted. I, in my weakness, I just, I'm, and I, I had a conversation with uh, Ryan, our student minister. He's got an aunt who's going through a really tough season. Uh, and, and honestly, her health is not looking good. They're heading up to see family uh, after after church today, to be with the family, uh, to say goodbye to an aunt that has meant the world to him. And throughout the week, we've had these conversations—real life conversations, not this. Hey, let's put on a show and make ministry pretty. Just real, honest conversations of like when Ryan said to me, "Like, hey, it's not that my faith is gone, but it's like I'm exhausted. I'm tired." And as he said it, it's as if he was describing the the feelings that I've had numerous times in my life where it's like, I don't know what to do. I feel like I've prayed every day. I'm just tired. And he described it's not as though faith is gone, but it's as though sorrow is heavy. And sadness is heavy. It's like a weight. You see, but when you come to understand the role that our advocate plays in our lives, you understand this truth found in Romans chapter 8. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. What a promise. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for anymore. Like, God, I'm just, I don't know what to pray for. But the Holy Spirit, He prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed with words. Just picture that. What you can't even pray for because you don't have the words, He prays for you. And the Father who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Here's what I love about that. Here's been my prayer for Ryan's family and Liz Dale's family this past week. Here's been my prayer. As things play out, God, may it be the time we spend with you because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that when a conclusion is reached, even if it's not the one we want, we would have a depth of understanding that we would not have if it were not for the time we spend with you through the work of your Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? It's a different kind of prayer. It's not, God, give us what we want, and when you don't, you must not be real. It's, God, whatever you want to happen, give us a deeper understanding than we can have in our own strength. And the only way that's possible is the Holy Spirit living inside of you so that when things go a certain way, you have a depth of understanding about what God's will might be in this situation because the Holy Spirit is alive and working inside of you. Last thing, he encourages us, he prays for us, and he leads us. He leads us. Numerous times in the scriptures, you're going to read about uh, the Holy Spirit leading people some way and the other way. And you're like, hey, what's that like? I want to know what the Holy Spirit, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit's leading me? And here's the thing. It's not this formula. If you do this, this, and this, the Holy Spirit will lead you. It, it's not. It's, it's the time spent in the presence of the Lord. The Holy Spirit gives you clarity as to where God might be leading you. He brings to uh, the forefront of your mind what the scriptures would teach. You see, the Bible actually teaches us, too, the Holy Spirit is saving you. He's, he's transforming you and changing you right jesus saved you from your sins the penalty of death but you're continuing to be saved and molded and shaped and then when jesus returns our salvation will find its completion here's what that means there's a word in the bible called justification the moment in time we would tell you that when you're baptized you come up out of the waters your sins are wiped clean you're a new creation but then there's the every day after that what does it look like every day to walk with the lord what does it look like every day to have Jesus with me? What does it work every day to allow the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me? That the Bible would call sanctification. It's the everyday yielding of yourself, giving up of yourself to where the Holy Spirit might be leading you as you spend time in God's Word and in prayer and around God's people. So, why does all this matter to us? So we understand, like, hey, I understand that the Holy Spirit, his role in my life primarily is he's the advocate that Jesus promised. He's going to come, and he's going to come alongside me. He's going to encourage me, and he's going to bring me, uh, lead me, and he's going to guide me, and he's going to pray for me. And I understand that that's his role. So how do I walk out of here? What's my next step, Rob? Well, there's a lot that we could say. I'm going to give you some encouragement by way of, like, hey, be careful here. The first thing I would tell you as we walk out of here is this. Don't be a miracle hunter, please. Don't say, well, now I understand the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, and I just want the gifts of the Spirit. There are sometimes people, they talk so much about the gifts of the Spirit, it's as if that's all they seem to care about. So many people are concerned, concerned with the gifts. And look, the gifts are important, but the gifts, if you study the Bible, the gifts that come because of the Holy Spirit are never about the gifts themselves. They never are. When you study the Bible, when people are able to do incredible things, it's not about the things that they're doing. It's about the glory of God. It's about time spent with Jesus. It's about depth, the depth of relationship with the Lord. So it's not about, hey, let's go take this spiritual gift assessment out here. Let me learn what my gift is and maximize that gift so I can become the most efficient. No, the whole point of Jesus giving you a gift is that he wants to show you how much he loves you so that you'll spend more time with him and the depth of your relationship will grow. And out of that, he'll use the natural giftiness he's given you. But the gifts are never only about the gifts. They just aren't. I don't know if you remember this in the book of Acts, but there was a guy, uh, Simon the sorcerer, he shows up on the scene when Philip is doing some things, he sees it, he becomes a Christian, but then he tr- starts to try to understand the gifts of the Spirit and he sees the apostles doing incredible things and he wants to buy it. He offers them money. I don't know what went wrong in his mind, but he went up to he say, hey, give. I'll pay. Give me the ability to do what you're doing. And they scold him. And they said, are you kidding me? The gifts are not about the gifts. All all he cared about was the gifts, and because of that, he was scolded, and they condemned him for it. Why? And they even say this. It's because your mode is wrong. You're so focused on the gifts, you're making everything about you. He says, no, the gifts that the Spirit brings, the gifts that the Spirit offers us are never about the gifts, so don't be a miracle hunter. Understand that when the Holy Spirit leads you and encourages you and guides you, it's about Jesus. You see, when you read through the Bible, the Holy Spirit never, never seeks attention. He's always, ref- like, deflecting it. Everything the Holy Spirit does deflects to the, the Son who is pointing to the Father. You see, it's all about the glory of God. It's not about bringing attention to things that the Bible doesn't bring attention to. The second thing I would tell you is this. Understand that your power has a purpose. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that power, the purpose of it is that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. So the very reason that he sends the advocate is that we would be his witnesses. You will be my witnesses. So the purpose of what the Spirit's doing in us, the power that we have, is that we would be able to point more to Jesus with better clarity. This might be a silly illustration, but let me read a portion of what Francis Chan talks about with the gifts. He says this about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He says this, This may be a silly illustration, but if I told you that I had an encounter with God where I told you that he entered my body and gave me the supernatural ability to play basketball, okay, bear with it, it's actually a good illustration, wouldn't you expect to see an amazing improvement in my jump shot, my my defense, my ability to run down the court? After all, this is God that we're talking about, right? And if you saw no improvement in my athleticism, would you question the validity of my encounter? He says, Churchgoers across America say that they have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. They claim that the Holy Spirit has given them a supernatural ability to follow Jesus, put sin to death, and serve the church. Christians talk about being born again and say that they were dead at one point, but now they've come to life, and yet those outside the church see no difference in our lives. They begin to question our integrity, our sanity, or even worse, our God. You see, we have to tap into the power of the Spirit. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to encourage us. We have to know that He's praying for us in our weakness. We have to allow Him to lead us by the depth of our understanding of the Word of God. He leads us into all areas of our lives. I want you to think about it this way. Dallas Willard said this once. He says, grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. You see, grace is opposed to earning. By you living out what the Holy Spirit's leading you to do, you're not earning God's favor. You got that because of Jesus. He's your primary advocate. Remember that? You didn't earn that. That was a gift of grace. But it's not opposed to you putting effort into following him, taking seriously this power that's been made available to you. See, the difference for Christians is that we have the Holy Spirit to lead us and to help us and to guide us. We don't have to do anything on our own. He's there to help us with the effort that we put into it. We already have that power inside of us. Let me close this way. I read this week about a young man named Billy. Billy was born with a genetic defect, and he had no right arm. So he's missing his right arm. But he had a really rock star mom. So this mom was like, hey, I'm going to treat him no different. And anything that he wants to get involved in, I'm going to do my very best to make sure he's allowed to get involved in it. So over the years, that's what she did. He would try all kinds of different things without that right arm. One day, though, he comes home, and he says to his mom, he says, hey, I want to do karate. And immediately she cringed, like, oh, man, to think about what the other kids are going to say, what they're going to do, how they're going to look at him, to think about the karate instructor trying to teach him, but he, only, he doesn't have that right arm. And, but she was a person of her word, and she had told him, anything you want to try, we're going to do our best. So She takes him down there, and they start karate lessons, and the sensei brings him in, and he's excited, and he teaches him this move, this incredible move, and what do you know right there in practice, it works. So he says, hey, over a couple weeks, he says, hey, you need to enter a competition. So he does, and he wins. He wins the whole competition without a right arm. He says, that's incredible. Now I need you to, uh, we're going to enter you into a tournament now, not just a competition. So what do you know? He, he wins the tournament, advances to the regional part of the tournament. He wins that part of the tournament, really. He gets to the championship round of the tournament and enters into, and uh, the, the competitor catches him off guard, and he defeats him, and he beats him. And so now Billy's sitting there discouraged, and frustrated and he begins to lash out and he says to his karate instructor he says are you kidding me you only taught me one move the only one move i was ever able to do why couldn't you teach me more in the midst of the frustration the karate instructor says to him hey billy i taught you a move that in order for anyone to defend it it requires that they grab a right arm see here's the point the power the power that you need you think you need You already have. (laughs) On your worst day, when the enemy's just beating you up, you feel drained because life is just hard and it's difficult. And you feel like, I need something. I need more. The Bible's telling us if you're a Christian, if you've been baptized into Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. The power that you think you need, that desperate feeling that you need this power to overcome what's next, the Bible tells us you already have it. You just need to tap into it. You need to allow him to encourage you. You need to realize he's praying for you, when you in your weakness. You need to let him lead you through your understanding of God's word where he might be leading you in this life. Friends, I don't know what you expected when you came this morning, but I just think what God wants to say to us is this. On your worst day, please remember, the Holy Spirit wants to come alongside you and advocate to you, so let the advocate encourage you with the words of your Savior this morning. You're loved. You have a purpose. Every one of you. And you're never alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus to be our advocate. We don't deserve it. God, there are days where those triggers are strong and we feel guilt and remorse. We feel beat up. Ashamed of what we've done maybe who we've become we need this power and your word has encouraged us this morning that we already have it it's already there it's in us it's living in us we don't need to welcome it we don't need to invite it it's there if we're Christians Father if we are followers of Jesus the Holy Spirit lives inside of us he's our advocate he encourages us with the words of scripture Father We find great comfort knowing that in our weakest moments when we don't know what to pray, He's praying for us. And when we feel like we don't know where the next step might be that He is leading us, God, this morning my prayer for each of us is that we would be encouraged by the presence of the Advocate in us, reminding us of the words of our Savior, that we are loved, that we have a purpose, and we're never alone. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.